This is Guideposts with Dr. Tim Stoffer, a podcast where Tim and his friends engage in purposeful conversation about identity, parenting, culture, faith, and more. Tim Stoffer is a professor of counseling and a licensed clinical counselor. My name is Sam Myung, and I'm Tim's friend. My life has been greatly enriched by my time talking to Tim and getting his thoughts on many matters that impact my life daily. After listening to this podcast, I hope you'll feel the same. Guideposts are discernment markers. They provide opportunities for direction as well as warnings of pitfalls. Go this way and be careful of that way. We hope that each episode provides some sense of direction as we navigate the challenges of daily life. Thanks so much for listening. Quick disclaimer, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your licensed mental health provider. Good morning, Tim. Hi, Sam. Um, thanks for listening to us today. Um, so we're going to continue our conversation about identity. Um, uh, Tim, I'll do a quick little recap. Um, if you have not listened to, to part one of this conversation, you really should do so. Much of what we'll talk about won't make sense unless you've listened to that first episode. Um, but Tim, I'll do a quick little recap of what you call the narrative loop. Sounds good. And this narrative loop is pretty essential as to determining, you know, our sense of who we are. And it kind of goes like this. An event happens in your life. Um, you use this example of being in middle school with a music teacher who pretty much just embarrassed you because like, cause you weren't singing in key, right? Correct. So you had this event, which then you started to create this, uh, narrative about yourself that no one wants to listen to you. <clears throat> and so those narratives start to then, uh, inform your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this case, you know, feelings of un- unworthiness, unwantedness, you, you know, don't bring something to the table that other people want. Mm -hmm. And then those emotions then create um, new behaviors. And oftentimes these behaviors reinforce the initial event um, in a way that makes the narrative become even more real and even more deeply internal. And then Mm -hmm. thus you start finding yourself like you didn't just have a singular bad experience. It's now I am an unlistenable to person, right? right? And that's like who you are. And so this is um, what we started talking about last week is how a lot of our identity gets formed is through these events and the narratives we we start to create about them. Is right. that a fair that's, summary? That's, that's a wonderful summary. Let me give a let me give a little bit of more of, a, of the story that might explain more about how our behaviors will then create new events or have an effect that reinforce the narratives. Yeah. So, so my experience in middle school led me to say, you're, people are never going to hear me sing. I'm not going to, I won't open my mouth. Uh, and so when I went to high school, there was a requirement for every single student to be involved in the choir in the course. Okay. So this sets up a quandary. Yeah. Uh, it's a very small private school, only maybe hundred or a little over a hundred students in the entire high school. So everybody knows everybody. And I'm a freshman in high school and you have to be in choir. Well, guess what? 
I stood in choir and I lip sync the entire year. Okay. On top of that, the girl that I like stood right beside me in choir. <laughs> so there's not a chance I'm going to open my yeah. mouth and sing and have myself heard. I'm not going to embarrass myself um, in that way. Uh, my resentment began to build. My sense of inadequacy, um, all of my behaviors began to reinforce this sense or this deep sense that it's best for me to keep my mouth shut or not to be heard. And I was so um, contrarian that I went to the high school administration and I lobbied and surprisingly successfully to... (laughs) not be in choir or chorus for the rest of my high school year. Wow. So from my sophomore year till I graduated, I was exempt from having to sing in the choir. That's and, fascinating. And so what am I doing? What's the behavior doing? It's isolating me. It's isolating myself. Sure. I'm isolating myself from my peers. I'm withdrawing. I'm pulling myself out of the community and I'm stuck in the library by myself. Um, being there while all hundred of my peers are in choir. Um, one of the things that I don't ever recall anybody ever asking me is Tim, why, why don't you want to be in choir? Like Hmm. what, what, what's going on? No one, no one seemed to that. I remember I might not be remembering adequately. No one came and inquired about that or, or helped me process that. So my behavioral, pro- my emotional processes and my behavior began to express themselves in such a way that led to isolation and led to withdrawal and led to not being a part of the group. There's a yearbook picture in my high school yearbook that shows a picture of me sitting in the library looking philosophical. <laughs> um, and my picture is in a music note. And the caption under the picture was Tim, the one and only student, not in chorus. For real. For real. I have the yearbook at my house. Wow. So, so here it, here it's becoming instantiated in, in documented. Was that a funny thing or was that like a, a public shame thing? I don't know. I don't know the motivation behind it, but what I do know is that the injury or that, that aspect of my my sense of humiliation and my sense of I cannot I will not put my subject myself to that kind of um, I just simply won't um, yeah. allow myself to have that happen to me again uh, and and so that um, my behavioral processes kind of swung right back around sure. and now I'm in essence I don't think anybody was being malicious sure. Much like I don't think my music teacher in middle school was being malicious. Sure. But the the impact on me was significant. It's like now I'm being reinforced and the the outcomes of my behaviors are reinforcing this sense that, Tim, you're by yourself. You don't you're not part of of the mix. And and it and it takes on strength. And, and what's dastardly about our narratives is what occurs with them is that we begin to orient our lives around those stories. And the orientation that we bring to the rest of life, like it overblows 
the significance of the events themselves. Uh, and hmm. so, so I can, I can begin to like hamstring myself or to keep myself from, from engaging in life in ways that I otherwise would be very qualified to do and have the potential and the gift sets. I might allow those narratives to hold me and keep me stuck in behavioral patterns that all they do is hurt me. And I can't figure out why, because like how easy is it to connect a mean music teacher in sixth grade to my professional decisions down Sure. down the road. Like my impulse, when you asked me about making this podcast, that narrative popped to life just like that. It was, there it was. I was like, I don't have, I don't have, like, what do I have to offer? What, like, what do, who wants to listen to me? Yeah. Lots of evidence to the contrary, but there it was. Yeah. There's the narrative. And we have to, it's like, what, what are, what is the way out of that behavioral trap? so that we can that we can orient our lives around something different. And I would love for that to kind of be the Great. center point of our conversation today is like how Great. do we how do we break free how, from this narrative break, loop that'll just continue to feed itself. Right. Right. And so I'm curious like your thoughts as you've reflected last episode I, I yeah. was, felt like I was monologuing a great deal as I was walking through that um, what were some of your reflections and um, yeah. Say a little bit about what you were thinking and feeling as we talked through that through. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've definitely, one of, one of the big ones, and, and I was talking with, with Rachel, my wife about was one, one of the things that I continue to find, uh, even when, when we struggle with conflict in our own marriage, one of the things I struggle with is this, um, this, uh, I, 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 want things to always be at peace, mm-hmm. like no, you know, disruption in relate, particular to relationships. And so if there's relational strife or relational tension, like it just, my body can't handle it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so been processing for myself, what, what is the root of that? And, um, you know, so from very little, always viewed my role within our family as being like a peacekeeper kind of person, and um, uh, and misreading things that that um, when there's disunity in relationships, that it's my fault. And now, much of that is not actually accurate, but that's over time has continued to feed itself, and so when Rachel and I have a conflict and she says something, I immediately, well, I, it was something I did or didn't do like, and she'll even say to me, like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, this isn't about you. Mm -hmm. This isn't about, um, you doing something wrong or not doing something like I am just expressing to you how I feel in the moment. But I, my immediate reaction is like, Oh, I, I didn't do it right. Or I didn't do enough or something like that, you know? And so that's, that's been one that I'm realizing I have a narrative, um, Mm. that I would like to break free from. Sure. So, um, so that's one of, that's one of the, the probably like larger ones of, you know, you know, the past week that I've been thinking about this. Mm Um, so, right. I think like, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about like, what are the strategies that we have tried in breaking free that have been ineffective? Yeah. So, so it's not uncommon 
for us to have some sense that, you know what, that storyline or that narrative or this way of thinking isn't particularly useful or it's damaging or it's just dis- I'm dysregulated by it or it's causing depression or anxiety or uh, like. And so. So we try to break free and oftentimes what people will do um, and I think Christians at times do this um, a great deal is is they try to take particular Bible verses or statements of like the who am I in Christ um, verses and quotes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like they paste them on top of Mm -hmm. these deep narratives that we have. And then they just rehearse them um, consistently. Hmm. And, and there's an element of like, there's an element of that, that's, that can be a helpful process like of, of reminding ourselves about the truth. There's another problem though, is that it's a little bit like taking a sticky note um, or nailing into rotten wood. It's like it, it's like we, we're trying to fasten something hmm. w- to something that doesn't have any strength underneath it. There's not a, there's not a, there's nothing of depth there. And so we're just pasting on or, or we keep painting over top of the water stains and they just keep burning through or putting lipstick on a pig. Right. And so we, we, or we, it's like we, rather than go up on the roof and fix the leak, we'll spray it with flex seal and we will, we will use the best possible primer to, and stain killer. And, and we keep painting over it and we keep putting over the rotten wood and it just doesn't work. Or it's like we, we touch up paint on the rust on our car. And it's like, unless you grind off the rust, um, and prime it, you're going to keep, it's going to keep burning through. And so many, 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 many people experience these deep life narratives as, as they keep burning through, they keep, encountering them and they keep um they keep hurting a person over time and so i don't think it's particularly effective to simply just paste over top but that's what i would say many of or most of us do to try to deal with these things that wound us I like to think that the way out has more to do with us um, addressing the deep traumas that we've experienced in life and accepting the reality that we were hurt and that we've been traumatized or that we've experienced something that kind of burned into our brain. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it like a tree. If a tree is injured in it as a sapling, you, you can sometimes see this in really majestic trees where the trunk hmm. takes this kind of wicked bend and, and then it straightens itself out and it's growing back to the sun. And it's like when you see that in a tree, you know something happened to the tree in that particular space. Um, and we can't go back and, not, and make that thing not be there. Sure. It's like we, we want to think through about how do we, how do we accept the realities of the narratives that have hurt us or the stories that have hurt us. And then we can begin to explore um, how are we going to orient our lives and interpret that event differently. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
That that makes a lot of sense. I like the the picture of the tree, and then choosing like once accepting it, learning then how to grow. You know, um, I like that picture a lot. Um, I think another you know we're talking ineffective strategies, and so you there's this almost like real superficial way of like, well, I you know, I know I'm not a miserable person uh, you know and then you just paste something on very superficially i think another one too is we try to just we see the behaviors we're reinforcing aren't helpful or potentially detrimental to our life but um so then we just try and focus on just changing the behavior and so then we're not even pasting on a new identity we're just trying harder Mm -hmm. and in my experience, that doesn't work, mm-hmm. and it obviously like just leads for a bigger letdown mm-hmm. um, down the road. Mm-hmm. From my experience, at right. least, right? It's almost like it's inevitable that we're going to collide yeah. with it. It's like it's we can summon our strength and work really, really hard, but um, it's like it, it's going to be there waiting for us, and it's going to grab us when we're exhausted and tired and and frustrated and. And oh, there, there it is again. And how many of us resonate with the reality that the things that have dogged us from adolescence, like if we look back at our, like what did we really grapple with in late childhood and adolescence? There's probably a great deal of consistency yeah. between those things and the things that dog us as adults. Uh, yeah. It's like, okay, what, what's that about? Well, it's about the narrative structures. It's about the way we narrate story. And, and so many people don't like the idea of uh, rehashing the past or going back and looking at the past. And I don't either. It's like, I, I think in many regards, what we have to recognize is that the narratives in which we're telling ourselves today are not the past. It's like they're, they're present, they're present narratives, but they yeah. have a history. And so we validate our experiences in life by validating that our present struggles or our present narrative struggles, the things that hurt us, the way we talk about ourselves, the way we deal with ourselves has a history and a context. And if we aren't willing to do and understand the context and and look at the history, that would be like going to a doctor with a major infection and say, I'm not talking about what happened to me over the last 20 years. Because it has nothing to do with today. Fix the affection today. It's like, well, any reasonable doctor is going to say, I need to know how this happened. Like, what's the trajectory yeah, here? The history and, that uh, created this right, infection. Right, because yeah. that's going to significantly inform how it gets treated. And, and so we want to courageously be willing to, to look at the narrative structures of our lives uh, and say, can I, can I find my way to orienting that myself to a different storyline or to a different interpretation of the story. And I believe that that's, um, that's the way out of, of those narrative stories. And I think as Christians, um, we can find this very clearly in the scripture. Um, and if especially Ephesians chapter one talks about this process, um, that's, that helps us tremendously. Um, one is it, Ephesians says that Paul is writing and he says that you were included in the family of God and the inclusion isn't related to something that you did. It's that you, that you have a sense of belonging. 
and you're part of the family of God. So it's like you're you're given an identity. It's like you're not finding something. It's like you're being gifted with something. Uh, and then the then Paul goes on and he prays for the the Ephesian church and says, "I pray that the Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation so that you might know God better." And it's like wisdom and revelation is a narrative process. It's like wisdom and revelation tells us something about who we are. It tells us something about God's perspective of us. And so when I think about my story in sixth grade with my music teacher, I developed a perspective, but that perspective diverges significantly from God's perspective. I interpret that in a way that's radically different. And so the question becomes is what will I begin? Whose story will I orient my life around? And will I, will I allow, begin to orient myself around the stories that God tells me? Uh, what, will I orient my life around um, a more accurate story? And if I'm willing to, I have to accept that I have an old narrative and it's resilient and it's powerful and it has been useful to me in some regard, but it's broken. And it's, it's a narrative that does not does not serve me well. And yet I keep returning back to it because it's so deep and it's so old and it's, and it's, I have spent so much time orienting around it. And so my, my conviction is, is that I'm going to orient myself around a different story. And that's where, where we can begin to tap into like scriptures that tell us something different about ourselves. It's like when we can say, I'm not pasting this on top of but I am orienting myself around this thing. And, and to orient ourselves around something different is to validate the story that we have been telling ourselves as being a broken story, but it comes from somewhere. And we can respect ourselves in the, in the process of healing. It's like, okay, I get it. I understand why I have this this reaction. I'm not going to beat myself up for it because I was hurt as a young, as a young boy. I was humiliated and hurt. And so it makes sense that people who are humiliated and hurt are going to develop ways of thinking about themselves that probably aren't completely accurate. And so I can be kind to myself and compassionate and say, that story exists, but I'm going to actively orient myself to a different story. I'm going to listen to a different story. And that's wisdom and revelation. Yeah. And so say, say what... So okay, so so here's so something I'm I'm kind of thinking is even um, you know you're talking about people kind of struggling with like why should we like have like bring back like things from the past, but um, actually even think about disciplines of of like communion in the church mm-hmm. like in the the symbol that it is like call like is this active recalling of the past like and mm-hmm. as we reflect on jesus's life and death like through the bread and the cup like we're remembering our own you know past in the own you know our own involvement in mm-hmm. the sin that required his death like but it also allows us the process of realizing his love and mm-hmm. the gift that he gives us with you know mm-hmm. being included into his family so it's this active process of like like no, it's a healthy thing to remember mm-hmm. because and and yeah, and I think that's a if you're 
actively engaged in in that process it's a really powerful experience to do that on a con- relatively consistent basis right um so that's i mean obviously that's a little bit more in the church and stuff like that but sure. but well i think one of the dilemmas or one <clears throat> of the realities is, is that the people who say let's not rehash the past the problem is is that they're that they're actually being duplicitous or deceitful what they're what they're really saying is is I don't want to look at how the past is my present because I'm scared of mm. the story. I don't want to, I don't want to see, uh, in the present moment, the yeah. way I'm like, I don't want to see these connections, but when the past really is the past and we have resolved it, then it does become like community. Now I can say, this is the kind of person I was, but here, this is who I am today. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not yeah. even afraid to talk about it because yeah. it's not, it's not the defining part of me. It's like I can have this conversation today about this narrative of feeling that people don't like me, but it's not. It doesn't have the punch it used to have. Sure. It, it's it's like it's no that, that that is the past, but I have to be aware that that part of my tree, so to speak, that there's there's an there's a way of understanding the the internal dialogue that I grapple with. Yeah. And, but it doesn't hamstring me anymore. It doesn't have to hurt in the same way. And I don't have to be scared of it. And if we're afraid to talk about our past, it's probably because we haven't really, it's probably really not the past. It's like, it's continuing to live in our lives and it needs to be processed so that we can get wisdom and revelation from God. Yeah. That's good. So, so what happens then after the next um, part of Ephesians and Paul's prayer, he goes on and he says that I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened um, so that you might know the hope that you have. And, and so when I think about that emotional spot that we our narrative leads to how we feel and to the energy that propels our actions, that emotional energy or that emotive space is what I think Paul is writing about in the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. It's like when our eyes light up, it's because we feel something happening. The Mm -hmm. wisdom and revelation of God's perspective on us enlightens something inside of us. It opens up something. It, It gives us a hope for the future. It gives us a sense that there is a way out of the entanglements in which I find myself. And, and I can see with new eyes and I can, I can see that there might be a different way of being, a different way of living, a different way of approaching the things that hurt me. I, can, I now have something of substance and it profoundly impacts the emotional and emotive space of what energizes us. And from that comes a whole different way of living. Now our behaviors can change. Sure. It's like, and the next part of Paul's prayer is that you will now live with the resurrected power of Christ. Your, your actions will now be informed by the power of the resurrection. New life. Old ways are dying and new things are coming to life. There's a way of being and a way of acting and a way of, of engaging the world that's radically different. It has resurrection power. It has new life built into it. And so you can think about it kind of like a formula of sorts. It's like 
God's perspective plus hope equals empowered living. Or we can think about it as God's narratives for our lives and our, our um, re-narration, um, how we tell the stories is going to impact our emotional world and it's going to change the way we live. I'm going to have more courage. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take risks that I otherwise might not take. Uh, I'm going to live radically different. Uh, and then, well, what's the effect of that? Now we're going to start getting results in life that actually go against that core narrative. Yeah. It's like the new narrative, the, the new narrative will start being reinforced. Yeah. And, and so here's what I would say is process in life. It's like, this is a messy space. This isn't a switch that flips and all of a sudden it, it's different. It's like, it's like, I think about it with my experiences in starting CrossFit a few months ago. It's like the longer I do it, the more I want to do it because I like the results that I'm seeing. I like the, the fat that I'm losing and the muscle that I'm gaining. I like the way I feel better. Oh, but some days who wants to get up and go like who wants to, who it's hard, it's painful, it, it's work. And then there's days you don't eat right and you don't do your, you don't go. And, and it's like, you know, what's the effect that you get? It's like, ugh. Um, and yeah. so life is kind of that way. That's a really simplistic way of thinking about how the cause and effect of our own behavioral patterns. Yeah. Um, but when we live with resurrection power, Paul goes on and writes, it's like in that space, Um, Jesus is given his proper space place in our lives. And that's where our identity becomes secure. It's like now my identity is getting more secure because Jesus is in his proper place. It's like my, my world is now being oriented around my identity in Christ. My, my world is being oriented around, um, better narratives, deeper quality of narratives. So this was, uh, I think you're kind of starting to get to this. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, is you know, why, why do you feel like, like God's perspective or his narrative is so important to this process? Like, why can't I just give myself a new narrative? Like, why can't, why can't I just be able to like, well, I'm just going to rewrite a narrative for myself and then allow that to like change me. Does that question make sense? Sure, it sure does. And I think like there's an element of, of this, this process, um, this process works outside of the faith traditions. Uh, and in many regards, it fits right into what I would call classic mental health, social science. It, it's a, um, it's, we know that our thinking, our emotions and our behavior all form together in a, in a triad of sorts and they, yeah. they all have effects. So if I'm struggling with anxiety, and I look at what are the automatic beliefs and the, the narratives or the deep beliefs that drive my anxiety, I can begin to challenge those beliefs, get, I'll feel better. My anxiety goes down, my behavior changes, and now I can engage life in a much more satisfying, less painful way. And I think that's a gift of common grace. Like, like there is a, there's a benefit to that. But, but if you think about it more in the theological or the more philosophical space, we are always still left with grappling with those deeper philosophical questions of who am I and why am I here? What's the yeah. purpose of everything? And, and it's like we, I think God's perspective 
is like as a Christian, um, I that's the way I grapple with these deepest philosophical questions. And I think that Jesus tells the best stories about God and about how to live well in the world. Like that's my foundational yeah. valuing structure. Yeah. And and so that's where people who don't um, who may not share my perspectives on faith or around spirituality or around religious affiliation or around any of those kinds of things can still benefit from what I'm saying, because I think the gift of common grace, Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. Like we all participate in this, the grace of God, whether we call it God or not, um, the, the process can still be, be helpful. And so there is a sense like, well, by all means, if, if you're not interested in, um, in a faith perspective, sure. I want people, regardless of faith, to suffer less. <laughs> like, but you'd yeah. listen to any philosopher or any theo- theologian, is people will say life is suffering. Like, you you keep digging deeper into the philosophical questions of life, you'll get there. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not a that's not a real. That's um, a pretty incontrovertible observation that has been made across time and across philosophies and across religions is that life is suffering. There's a lot of suffering in life. There's a lot that is jacked up and broken. And the question becomes, how do we answer the questions and what are the stories around that? And that's where, that's where I think you get down at the guts of, of faith and, and so forth. But, but if you don't want to talk about faith, you can move up a level and say, you know what, everybody can suffer less or have a, um, and, and I think there's something very noble and Jesus even demonstrated there's something very noble about relieving suffering. Yeah. Um, even if, even if it doesn't lead to what I would call deep spiritual transformation or it's just like to relieve suffering is a noble thing yeah. and it's a, and it's a good thing. Does that answer that? Yeah. What you were yeah. asking? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it does. And that's, and that's, yeah. And that's obviously going to be a, a, individual choice and decision for each person to make like and I think one of the things this is so compelling to me as to you know God's perspective versus a narrative I create is you know wrestling with the reality like like I am a finite being like Mm -hmm. I came into this world and at some point I will leave it like Mm -hmm. that is like the one thing that's guaranteed in my life like like uh but if there is an infinite being like and what he has to say about me, um, that holds a lot of weight to me, mm-hmm. like if, if those things are true. And so more so than personally, like as I you know, wrestled through this a little bit, like as a finite being who creates finite narratives, but if there's an infinite being who creates an infinite narrative for me, I'm like, wow, that 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 holds weight like sure. and and so that's powerful that yeah and so that's that for me is i think where that becomes this this illustration in particular when we're talking about how do we break out of this narrative loop and create a healthier narrative um mm. that that just is compelling to me mm-hmm. and i think it really holds a lot of power into being able to change the narratives that we we have been telling ourselves right so let me continue the story and tell you a bit about how this narrative began to change for me. Uh, so as I, I move through high school and I get out of, of school, one of, the, one of my boyhood dreams I, when I was 10 years old was I wanted, I wanted to sing and play guitar. 
And, and so not only, not only did this music teacher humiliate me and embarrass me, it also stole a dream from me. Hmm. Uh, and, and I, I struggled musically, um, in terms of singing, but, but I was, I was able to, I'm able to hold a tune and I'm able to sing a bit. Um, and so at 19, 20 years old, I picked up a guitar and I said, I'm going to learn how to play. I started when I was 10 and I dropped out of lessons because I, I got jaded and I just, I just stopped and I quit. Um, but I, at 20, I said, no, I'm going to pick up a guitar. And I picked up a guitar and I had a friend teach me basic chords and I got chord charts and I began to start picking out songs on a, um, the, the nineties praise and worship music, which was very <laughs> simple to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and I began, I began to learn to play guitar and sing and I began to open my mouth again and I took a voice class in Bible college. Um, and I began to start trying to find the courage to sing. Um, and it began to work. No one laughed at me. Nobody humiliated me. In fact, one of my, one of my friends and colleagues was standing behind me one time and he heard me singing and he said to me afterwards, he goes, why do you always say that you're not able to sing? I just listened to you and this whole hymn sing and that's not true. Yeah. And so part of how we begin to change is when we start to pay attention to the contradictions or the contradictory um, experiences that we have in life that tell us our narratives are false. And when we begin to pay attention to the contradictions that the, the contradictory vo voices with those core narratives, we must start to pay attention to them and give them validity. And as we do, we will begin to change. And so, so this person said, Tim, why, why do you keep saying you can't sing? That's not true. Oh, okay. That's a shocking kind of water in your face kind of moment of like, oh, I'm lying to myself. I'm, I'm not, but that was just one thing that didn't just change. That wasn't just all it took, but it began to crack the facade. Sure. Um, I continued to play and I continued to learn to sing. And one of my goals was that when I, when I got married, I wanted to be able to sing a song in our wedding to my wife. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And now there's a grainy old video where I no have a guitar that my wife gave me for a wedding gift. And I sang to her um, on our wedding day. And I sang a solo with me and a guitar in front of 250 people at my wedding. That's amazing. And, and so it's like I, now I'm beginning to adjust my behaviors. I'm saying, in essence, damn it. I'm, I don't, I'm going to press into this, but the narrative still exists. There's still, there's still an internal sense of people don't like me. They would rather I shut up. I've, I don't have, I, my voice isn't welcome despite all the evidence to the contrary. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ex still experiencing this pressure, but I'm also actively saying no that i will not orient my life around that narrative anymore it's it's a broken narrative and it hurt i was hurt as a young boy and i interpreted that um the way i did 
And I don't need to scold myself or shame myself for that. I just have to accept that's what happened to me. And I, and I need to orient my life around a different kind of narrative. Yeah. So I started attending a church um, and I was asked to be on the teaching team and people loved when I would preach, I would get tons of good feedback from people. So I'm getting all this evidence that my ideas now are valuable to people. Hmm. Um, and so I decided to join the Christmas choir and that was a huge step for me now to put myself into the <laughs> choir space. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm at rehearsal and I'm singing and I'm enjoying it. And the director of the, um, of the choir, while we were singing, looked over at me and turned and walked straight towards me. <laughs> my blood literally ran like ice in my veins. I felt my whole body going tense wow. because here came my music teacher. Yeah. And she walked straight towards me and stood right beside me while we were singing and she reached out and she put her hand on my shoulder and I froze. I was ter It was like, it was like, here I am a grown man, probably 37 years old, 38 years old at the time. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what I, it's like everything about that story is just like jumping back to life. I have spent all this time dealing with the narrative and here it is almost like in the kind of experience that injured me. And she, she moved on and we kept on going and she's a friend of mine and, and didn't say anything. No, didn't say anything. I talked to her later and I told her the story and she said, Tim, I thought about it. She said, when I put my hand on your shoulder, she said, I am, uh, you were so stiff. Like you were just frozen. And I said, yeah, I sure was. And here's why. Um, and it's wow. like, okay, these narratives are also in our bodies. It's like our physiology, these narratives impact the way we feel and the way our body responds to stimulation and to the environment. And so we have to, if we're going to break out of these narratives, we have to be willing to go back into them and into those kind of spaces and start watching for different outcomes and recognize that, that, you know, even even if I was off key and even if I, she had to correct me, that wouldn't be a statement of like, it wouldn't have to be humiliating. Yeah. Um, and, but that's not, it's not likely that we're going to get the same kind of outcome that we had. And, and so that became a moment of, Oh, okay. I'm okay. I'm still welcomed here. I I'm not told to lip sync. Yeah. Um, I had people, I had people come to me or a person come to me and say, Oh, Tim, I love being close to you because I can hear your bass voice. I like that. I'm like, Oh, that's again, the narrative, another example of the narrative breaking. Yeah. Then I had a, a, a significant experience where it was like the, the things were chipping away and all of a sudden the hammer hit the rock and the rock broke open a bit. Um, I was, had started my clinical practice. I was deeply in debt from grad school. I wasn't hardly making any money and I wasn't sure my practice was going to make it. I was like, man, I am, I am really in bad shape. I don't have, I have a family of five and this is not working. And I think I'm going to have to find a different job. And yeah. I had a job possibility in a different state 
that would have paid a full-time wage. Um, and, um, I was pretty sure we were going to move and I was at the gym with a friend and, um, I was telling him about, I think we're going to have to move. And he looked at me, he goes, Tim, I hope you don't move because I really like you. <laughs> and for me, there was something in that moment where I'm like, Oh, not only is my voice okay, I am now liked. Like I'm experiencing yeah. people saying, I like you. Well, here's another hit. It's another contradiction in the narratives. Yeah. And which one are they? It's like, how does God give us his wisdom and revelation? Often through people, often within spaces that are that have the that have a risk to them. Um and and God um, met me in that place and said, I have wisdom and revelation for you. And, and it, it, it broke something open for me. And so today that narrative doesn't have near the clout that it used to, but sure. I accept it's a part of my story and I recognize that it's going to pop up its head periodically. And my job is to just recognize it, say, I, there it is. Okay. Um, and then um, orient my life around a different narrative. Yeah. What do you, what do you do if, um, and I'm sure this, there's almost a scale uh, on this, but what do you do when there is validity to a narrative? Like there is like truth, there is some truth like with, within the narrative itself. Does that make sense? It feels mm -hmm. harder to rewrite a narrative if, if there are pieces of truth within it, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So like, say, say, in, you know, in, in your situation here, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, being told to be quiet cause you like were off key or whatever, but let's say you were, and, and clearly like as the rest of your life has shown, like you can sing and you, you can do that. But what if you were genuinely tone deaf and you couldn't, you really couldn't hold a melody? Like how do you rewrite a narrative when there is a lot more truth baked into it rather than just a single event or a, a lie attached. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that we tell the truth. It's like, I'm not a, like, I'm not a great singer. Like I, I it's like, I'm like, I'm not a, like my boyhood dream of being like a country star or being a gospel music. Um, yeah. Like I'm not, it's not that I'm this fantastic vocalist. Um, sure. And I have, I'm, my rhythm is terrible. And, and so it's hard for me to play guitar with a group of people because I have a very hard time with rhythm. Uh, the dilemma is, it's like, I can tell the truth about that, but that's not a self deprecating process. So the narratives that hurt us are not the ones that are the truth. It's like the, the, the problem with narratives is like we, we can take something that's true or we can take the truth and then we can interpret it and, uh, as a lie. Like we can take the truth and say that that means something about us that it doesn't mean. So if I'm not a good singer or I'm not a good musician, um, like I need to acknowledge the, the truth of that. And the truth of that will then lead me to say, this isn't the best place for me to 
try to live. Like if I'm right. trying to insist that I need to put all your energy into that, in, into that, or if I should insist that I, you know what, I should be on the worship team or I should be able to join the band. Well, no, sure. it's like that's, but, but that doesn't mean you're diminished as a person or there's something wrong with you or that you're, that you are a problem person. And then it's like, but if that's the way we interpret the story, now we have, now we have a false narrative or now we have a narrative that's, that's like, that's, that's the part that will injure us. The truth doesn't injure us. Sometimes the truth hurts. It's sometimes like, it's hard sometimes to face like something that's true and accurate. Um, and we wish that there might be, I wish that I was able to do X, Y, Z. Okay, fine. Um, but that's not, that's not our gift set. And so, um, I'm not going to orient myself then to focusing on that, which I don't have and the gifts I don't have, and then use that to say, I'm, there's something fundamentally wrong with me because as soon as I do that, now I'm going to have the emotions of inadequacy and insignificance and, and depression and, and discouragement and I, and worthlessness. It's like, well, that's a lie. Like that's not, that's not a, that's not a, that's a false narrative. That's not the perspective of God, but it might be true that I can't sing. There are people who, who just, they're not good singers and they, yeah. they can't <laughs> sing on key. Like they, that's just, that's a reality. Um, and the dilemma is, is that, that I was singing off key in sixth grade and, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, performing to the standard that was desired but the problem isn't that I was challenged in that. It was like the the way the the way the teacher went about it was wrong. It was developmentally, and he he was out of bounds in how he dealt with it. Uh -huh. um, but it's not that it's not that what he wanted was bad. Sure. And so, but I interpreted it that the the way I interpreted it about who I am as a person is the part that injures us. And so we addressed, we embrace the truth, but then we wrestle with the, with the proper interpretation. Yeah. It has primarily to do with that interpretation piece is the thing that ends up. Right. Hurting us. Yeah. That's, that's right. And that's like what, that's what PTSD is oftentimes. It's like, it's, it's like PTSD gets into our bodies. So our physical bodies will respond um, to stimuli. But in addition to that, we interpret, things incorrectly like we're in a uh, person with PTSD is often interpreting current realities through the lens of the trauma and so they will experience like I'm not safe right now when in fact no they are safe it's just that they're being their trauma is activated and hmm. so PTSD treatment is often about okay I want to address my trauma I want to I want to walk through my traumas because I want to develop the courage to face them there's more to me than what, than what, you know, like there's more yeah. to me than I know. And so I'm going to courageously face, um, the challenges of my life and the things that have hurt me. And I'm going to courageously step into that and see what happens. And, and I might still be afraid of it. Like I, like even starting this podcast, there's a part of me, I'm like, I don't like, what if people, like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm going to courageously face that. And if, and if I find out that, you know what? it's blah. It doesn't go that well. Well, so what doesn't mean, doesn't say anything about who I am as a person. 
yeah. it just means that that was a that was an idea and it didn't go as well as we thought and more way we hoped and and so we'll move on to another good idea and it doesn't have to stick in the it doesn't have to stick and see yeah you're an abysmal failure or you nobody likes you and wants you to shut up see you have evidence now it's like I'm not real concerned that that's going to be my interpretation. Yeah. Should even should if this find... podcast fails. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so what? It's, it's uh, it doesn't matter because, because that's not, I'm not orienting my life around that narrative anymore. That's really good. That's really good. Um, Okay. Well, what should we, so thinking about, thinking about, um, maybe kind of wrapping up our conversation for today, thinking about someone who's starting to identify a narrative and what, what would, are there a couple like practical, like, uh, things you should, I don't know, focus on if you're really wanting to be serious about, about seeing a new narrative become a part of your life. Like what, what would be like the first couple things you should really start focusing on? Um, like practically, mm-hmm. I think, I think like, um, thinking back across the major life event stories that come up in your mind, like what are the, what are the one liners that you find yourself saying to yourself or about yourself or about other people um, that aren't serving you well, where it's like this, this isn't helping my marriage. This is, this way of thinking is not doing me any favors at work. It's, it's, there's something broken here and I want to understand it. And so being honest about, oh, these are the, these are the areas of life that seem to be negatively impacted. And here's where my thinking goes. Here's the, here's the kind of ways, things I say to myself or about myself. Um, that's one way of doing it. Another way is to kind of work backwards through the loop. It's like if I'm feeling, let's say I'm feeling inadequate, I can kind of try to follow that emotional process backwards back up to the narrative or back up to the, the way I'm thinking and saying, what's going on internally for me? Like what, what are the thoughts behind what I'm feeling? Like there's, there's always a there's always a connection with our thinking and our belief systems and our narratives with the, what we feel. And so if I'm feeling inadequate or if I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling angry, I want to, tr- I can trace that like back and say, huh, what, what, what's my experiences across time with this particular emotion? Like when have I felt angry before? Like what are the kinds of things that really activate my anger? And what am I telling myself within those stories? And and then I can begin to get a sense of what the narratives are through that emotion. And you can then, or if you don't start at the emotion place, you can start the behavioral space and say, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Like, just, I just driving that I'm yeah. driving down the road and I, man, somebody did. I flipped off the bird and I sped up and tried to cut them off and to make sure I teach them a lesson not to, well, okay that you're feeling like pull that back up. What's, what's that? What are you feeling? Well, you're feeling disrespected. Oh, okay. Um, you know what? I just have this deep narrative that people don't give a rip about me and my presence in the world is not respected very well, or I'm not honored or, 
oh, well, that's what happened in life that might have informed that story. And we can begin to understand, okay, what are the narrative systems so yep. that um, that's part of what activates my anger or my sadness or my whatever behavioral stuff we might be doing that we say that's not helpful. Or if my, my wife says, Hey, I, we really, we need to have a conversation. I'm like, Oh dear God, how about not like, <laughs> like what, what if, what about not doing that? Like, that sounds like a much better idea. You know what? There's a great new show. There's a good movie. There's, there's a, there's a lot of things to do other than have a conversation. Um, well, that gives me, I can see now there's a behavioral pattern right there. I avoid. So if I'm avoiding something important, mm-hmm. hmm, I wonder what that's about. That's hurting me. It's hurting my marriage. It's hurting my, it's hurting my work performance. I can't do that if I want to thrive. Uh, I'm going to try to find, I want to, I want to understand this narrative structure better so that I can, that I can thrive and that I can experience life to the full. Those would be probably the, the, the way I would think about getting at what are those, those deep narratives. If, if someone has deep trauma in their life and abuse and neglect and sure, like then it's often we start with, it's like, we know where some of the big hits have happened in our lives mm-hmm. and that's a good place to start. And that's often a time to seek out professional care um, of like, okay, I, I really need to deal with the traumas for people who it's not, it's not, um, it's not clinical in nature um, and, and doesn't require that level of, of um, help then then doing the internal processes on their own or within a small group community or with a group of friends um, or just yeah. self-reflection and journaling can be helpful in kind of thinking those things through. But, but certainly if it's like in a, in a place of severe symptoms and, and struggle, well then sort of seek out a, competent therapist to help great great those are helpful but i think that's enough for today that was a deep that was a deep dig yeah. and um appreciate all of you who are listening and um thank you sam for a great conversation thank you tim all right enjoy the day we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of guideposts with dr tim Stoffer. If you're finding this podcast beneficial, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. Also, make sure to check out the show notes where you can find links to resources as well as an email address. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions, feedback, and topic ideas for future episodes. Thanks for listening.